You're listening to Sasters Podcast, the best in SaaS content to help you scale up and grow faster. Remote and hybrid teams aren't the future of work, they're the present. OWL Labs is embracing this revolution and is here to provide remote workers with a virtual seat at the table with the meeting OWL. Their 360-degree smart video conferencing camera can recognize and highlight any speaker at the table using an array of eight microphones. Check it out for yourself at owllabs.com. We're already counting down to Saster Annual 2020. For our loyal podcast listeners, we want to give you $100 off towards your ticket. Just buy your ticket using code FAVE100. Up today, Saster CEO Jason Lemkin and GM of Shopify Plus, Lauren Paddleford. So it's Jason Lemkin, not Harry Stebbings on the Saster podcast. I'm super excited. You'll get a slightly different perspective, but I'm here with Lauren Paddleford, who's GM of Shopify Plus. And um, I've become, if you've watched my tweets uh, or some other posts, I've become a super fan of Shopify over the last couple of years, well before it exploded to a $35 billion market cap recently, which is crazy. Um, I'll share a story with Lauren about that maybe toward the end. But my first job in software, in internet, was in e-commerce, and then I kind of fell away from it. But I made a few investments. I invested in a company called Algolia that does search as a service, and they bet bet super early on Shopify, before Shopify Plus launched. And I didn't even know that e-commerce was a market, but I started getting these reports as it's hyper-growth, and it's like Shopify, Shopify. And then they're like, they're super excited about Shopify Plus. I'm like, what's that? And I invested in another company called Gorgeous, which is a contact center on Shopify. They started there. And then, boom, Shopify Plus has just exploded for them. And um, they have all these cool brands now um, all through Shopify Plus. And I just watched I watched this, this runaway train happen, maybe even a quarter or two before you could see it in the financials. And to me, as a SaaS fan um, and founder, there's a lot of interesting sub-stories, which I want to talk about Lauren about, because Shopify Plus is the enterprise product for Shopify, but Shopify certainly did not start there, right? They classically started at the bottom of the market. Um, and I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about Shopify as an incredible example of an ecosystem builder. Um, and I, I, I became a Shopify super fan when I started to meet with, with SaaS companies, B2B ones, really, that had built relatively large businesses on Shopify. And I saw an app exchange 2.0 that is elegant as a, when we built back in the day an integration on app exchange it blew people's mind you could integrate into salesforce like enterprise software and i think what shopify built was something that's literally two orders of magnitude easier to integrate with than the direct competition so i want to i think we can all learn about that and i want to talk less but i am a i am a super fan of this whole story so Lauren, you joined literally to launch this this initiative, right? Shopify and Shopify Plus to take to take the company up market. Uh, yes. So I joined in uh, late 2014, and the origin story of Plus is um, one of just following customers. So you know, you're right. Shopify starts. We want all the entrepreneurs and makers in the world to start businesses. Once in a while, one of those uh, entrepreneurs has a really good idea and it gets a lot bigger than anyone anticipated. So this was starting to happen on Shopify. And, you know, as you well know, uh, software markets are stratified. You've got the free stuff, the little bit 
uh, costly things, the medium costly things, and the very costly things. And usually as you get big, you just keep upgrading into the next stack. Um, so our, lar- our most successful kind of entrepreneurs had started coming to us saying, this has been great. We started here. We love you. But I guess we're big now, so we're going to have to go buy some big enterprise software platform. And Well, that's the classic thing founders face. So they might have turned out to a Magento or a proprietary system. And Toby and team decided they didn't want to lose them anymore. Was that sort of the genesis of this? Right. It was like, you know, why let the most successful entrepreneurs leave the platform just because they felt like they were now too big for it. And so we said, okay, well, how do we stop that? So we created Plus, right? And Plus was uh, initially going to be an upgrade path um, for companies on Shopify, but more very rapidly into a mid-market play. And then now, you know, even further up into the enterprise. So let's just step back for a minute because a lot of founders go through this and when they start to get they they one they start to get pulled into larger deals organically and then once they do and also they start to see them lose their biggest customers if they're very successful at the bottom but not all founders decide they want to chase those bigger deals because they're more work and they have different feature requirements and they have different needs and you have to go on jets and you have to visit them and you have to have conferences and you have to have customer success teams so it took like, I think it took Shopify 10 years to launch plus from launch. What happened? Was it a cultural change? Did, did Toby wake up one night and say, I'm not, I don't want to lose one more. I want, I don't want to lose anyone at a hundred million or 200 million in GMV. What was as near as you could see, what was the culture change? If there was one that enabled the company to embrace that? Yeah. So I actually don't think it was a culture change. I think that what happened was, is we said, this is just entrepreneurism at another stage of the journey. And so if Shopify's job is to solve for entrepreneurs, then we have to solve this problem, just like we have to solve for the problem of people starting companies. And so it was a natural stretching up the market as our customers moved up. So this wasn't a wholesale change. And to your point is, we also decided to do this in the most Shopify way. We we said, we're not flying out to see customers. We're not going to play the enterprise sales cycle game. We're not going to play along with this traditional model of everything has to be heavy and hard and long-winded. We're going to do this in a Shopify way. And we found that the customers actually wanted that model. And so, you know, it's the, the first versions of it were all inside sales. Uh, it was all done over the phone. It was fast sales cycles. Um, you know, and it, was, it just happened to be with larger customers. So it wasn't a, we didn't change Shopify. Uh, we actually more accurately, I think, changed the mid-market. Got it. Um, okay. So, and so you did, it, it, and I, I, I guess I should have known this. It sounds like even though it's been five short years, you did stair-step this, right? You went to mid-market and then more serious. Now you're serving massive global customers today, right? The top brands. So talk about yeah. transitioning that or how, how you thought about it um, and how the company thought about it. So I think in general, Shopify, um, our success is based on just continually talking to the customers and saying, what's the problem you have? And then how do we solve that in the most elegant way that allows you to keep going on what you're trying to do? So when we created Plus, we had our own customers that were upgrading. They needed more account management. They wanted someone to talk to. They needed help with strategy. They needed a little bit more technology. We provided that. Did you add more services? Did you add a more human component to, to help them? We did. Um, yeah. So we, we added more services to it. Um, like, you know, like I said, the account managers weren't a thing for Shopify. They are a thing for Plus. Did you have to bring them? Did you have to drive that change? Did you have to hire the first account managers yourself? So Plus was the first account managers, the first solutions engineers, the first salespeople, the first launch engineers, the fr- like the first everything at Shopify in that model. So you came in and you had to sit down with 
Toby and the team and say, we need to build this whole stack of human beings, uh, even though you have a product that's substantially self-service for 200,000 customers today. Exactly. And, you know, there was the obvious uh, kind of like initial hesitation of like, well, it seems like a lot of humans to do a, a software thing. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, it is right. But, like it was a benefit of this. Um, and, you know, we're going to do it again in the Shopify way. This isn't going to be heavy, uh, but you're, you're going to need some more services and people. So we started to do that. Uh, we just followed customers. So the next group was you then had a, bo- a bunch of people who are on other platforms who are slightly larger than the ones that were on Shopify start to migrate. That's when the product became obvious. It's like, oh, you're going to have to build a product for these people as well. Because while Shopify is amazing, they have slightly different needs. So let's step back because we all go through this. What, Looking back, what were a couple feature gaps that you had to solve four or five years ago to, to, make, to make that journey, to accelerate that journey? Yeah. So I think you look at it and say, if I'm a, a, a store that's doing um, hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue versus a store that's maybe doing $10,000 a year in revenue, um, you have a scale thing is like, you know, the volume of throughput going through that scale, uh, through, through that store. So you had to, you know, upgrade that. How heavy can the checkout get? Um, you had to have user management. So suddenly there's more than one person that works at this. Well, hierarchies are something we all forget to architect properly when we start in SMBs, right? right, right. That can be a big pro- That can be a big project sometimes. It's a huge project. A yeah. lot of these projects were, were huge um, because it was re-architecting the concept of a business into Shopify versus yeah. the concept of a store. Um, and so that's been a lot of that, like managing more than one store at a time. So if Got you it. wanted to have two stores in a different country, right, that was two instances of Shopify. Well, that's, that's just double the work, right? Uh, yes. and so building out that functionality so you could manage multiple stores, multiple currencies. And did you have to, do you have, did you have a lot of internal battles getting them to build these type of features? Because in my experience, those are, those are tough, right? No one told me 10 years ago, I had to support four stores in the same org. Yeah. So I think we had a lot of, uh, a lot of conversations around what's the difference between a big company and a little company. And then how does that translate itself into software? And then what are we going to have to build on top of Shopify to make this valuable and scalable to a larger company? Yes. And, and to be truthful, a lot of it was also, and why should we do that? Aren't there a hundred million entrepreneurs in the world? Shouldn't we just... Well, that's the story I hear again and again. Why should, why should we do this, Lauren? We already have 100, 200,000 customers at Shopify. We have 4% of the market. Why should we build these stupid... Why, should, why do we have to do this? Right? And it's going to take away from our core, right? We've got to build these really low-end features that everybody needs. This is where our approach and sticking to kind of who we are culturally really came in is... Um, I said from the beginning, I don't. I, we should not build a replicant of SAP. Right? Um, this isn't about uh, trying to build a new enterprise software platform. That's a bad strategy. Those things are all going to die anyways. And so, like, let's build. Let's do to the mid market and the enterprise what Shopify did to everyone else. Let's do this in a way that's incremental, so that we don't recreate every wheel. Shopify was already so big and powerful and feature rich that it actually satisfied like eighty percent of what the mid market wanted, kind of out of the box. But no one knew it existed because Shopify was for makers. Shopify was for very small companies, and so that yes. mid market just wasn't aware it existed. And so you were really building around the edges. You were building the feature set that were on like access control and stuff like that. 
um, versus building core functionality that Shopify already had. So you really didn't have this either or scenario. You could really stretch Shopify's platform up into this next group of customers and um, give them a pathway to a future platform versus having to sit on the, these legacy applications. And that's really, let's just talk about that for one second, because that's an interesting journey a lot of us go through. So when you launch Shopify Plus, one, it, it drives a set of new features and functionality like hierarchies and multiple stores that bigger customers need. But it also helped drive awareness that this functionality existed. And, and as, as entrepreneurs, as we all go up market, we're like, should we have an enterprise edition, a global edition, a plus, a matrix? And it's interesting that even Shopify needed to do this from a market. So it was a marketing initiative as well as a product initiative. Yeah, it was almost marketing first and then product second, um, which was very backwards for Shopify, who's usually product first and marketing second. Um, but this was an awareness thing. And so Shopify Plus has its own brand, its own website, its own, right? Like we go to shows on our own. Yes, you have your own booths at, at, all, at all these events, right? Yeah, so we separated that to create this separation in customers' minds. So they're like, oh, there is one of, there's a version of Shopify that was designed for us, the bigger companies. Yeah, I was at Shop Talk in Vegas. There were like 40 reps in the booth at felt like it felt like enterprise 2.0 i could i could i could i could talk about my challenges my issues uh talk to a solution architect it was uh it was it was it was pretty neat exactly and so that was us saying hey we have this thing that we kind of never intended to build for this market but we built it and it's so big for the now 800,000 customers that use Shopify, it's so big that it was naturally at the scale of the enterprise by accident. Yeah. Uh, and that was such a, like, no one knew that. And so my, the first calls with customers were fascinating. You'd call these big companies and they'd say, but you're Shopify, aren't you for the little guys? We'd be yeah. like, yes, we are. They're like, well, you can't handle our volume. And I was like, well, what's your volume? And they're like, well, $100 million. I was like, yeah, last year Shopify did 14 billion. But it's not, and they were like, what? Who are you? What is Shopify? And you went in through this new re-education process of like, oh, I had no idea what that was. Yep. And that opened the door, right? That was the kind of like aha moment for a lot of companies where they're like, holy crap, this thing might be real. And when did that transition from a lot of the discussions being with customers that are growing with you to new customers that hadn't grown up on Shopify? When did, when did that transition happen? So uh, the first year of plus, we were about um, 60, 40 upgrades to new business. Right. It moved fast. The second year it tipped over and it was now new business to upgrades. And it's been yeah. like that ever since. Um, and so we're about uh, 60, 40, 65, 35 net new to upgrades um, yeah. as we go. Uh, partially it was Shopify was also growing in like its profile was going up at the same time. Um, There's a lot more press around Shopify. So people yep. started asking the, who is the Shopify company question. And so we got a lot more inbound from bigger companies being like, who, who is this? We also started to land more high profile customers. So the first like really kind of noticeable one was when we landed the Red Bull customer. Yeah. Um, and everyone was like, what do you mean Red Bull uses Shopify? That's impossible. Red Bull's a real company. And we're like, yeah, welcome to Shopify Plus. And then everyone was like, oh, crap. And then the phones just started to go and the team started to. Did that help catalyze the company to get a, an iconic brand like that at scale on you? Did it, it sort of wake everybody up on the, this direction? Totally. I, I yeah. mean, you know, we love brands. We love brand stories. I mean, we are here to help entrepreneurs and to create more voices. And so like for 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 Shopify, this brand you could tell 
your family about that everybody would know was such an interesting thing because most of Shopify's customers until then were brands that like you might know, but it wasn't household names. And then suddenly we had household names and everyone was like, maybe this is a thing. We should maybe do this, like really do this. Um, and so it kind of accelerated the whole, uh, the whole pace. Um, and then that move led to the next move, which is as soon as you get a couple high profile kind of mid market players, then suddenly all the actual enterprise players also start knocking on the door and yes. saying, well, what is it you're doing with them? And can you extend it even further up to us? Yeah. And that's where we find ourselves kind of now. Yep. And where, and without, without, um, playing without, um, let's try to be, a. I want you to represent Shopify, but also help us understand at a meta level. Now that you're going bigger and bigger, you're competing with, Salesforces and Adobe. You didn't even know you're going to compete with Adobe until a year ago. They're very different companies. What are what are the what are the what are the what are the pot shots they're taking at you in the sales process, and how are you learning from that and deflecting it? Because they do have a lot of experience with big customers, right? Salesforce. If you drop twenty million a year with Salesforce, they will solve your problem. It may take two years, but they will solve your problem. So how do you how do you deal in that competitive landscape, and what are they saying about you that that may be right or wrong? Yeah. So I think that um, our approach is always to just like. Uh, you know, it's the, when they go low, we go high, um, yep. is, um, to call it out and be like, if you, you know, we aren't them, we're not trying to be them. We're not trying to compare ourselves to them. This isn't a fair comparison because we're in a different world. They live in the stone ages. We live in the future. And so like our approach is they're trying to commoditize commerce at this point. Um, and in a lot of cases, give it away as like, yep. oh, I have one of those, right? But like yep. what you really want is CRM or what you really want is ERP or what you really want is this other thing. And by the way, I'll give you the commerce thing. And it, to me, that's just a tell. It's like, yeah, you, you haven't realized two realities. Um, one is commerce is central to customers' lives. And so this isn't a throwaway product. This isn't an also ran. They want the best, sharpest tool in the, in the, in the toolbox. Um, and two, the I have one of everything is used to be an amazing strategy, but is also a potential flaw um, yes. and something you can exploit. And then I think the, the third part is, and this is what we've also said is, look, if you're growing a high growth, hyper valued DTC, you're doing it on Shopify. So my answer is always the, the bifurcation, 100%. The traditional enterprise, you should totally buy one of those platforms. But have you noticed where all the new ones are and all the fast growing innovative ones are? Yeah. They're over here. I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah. Um, and so it's using their own enterprisey sales pitch against them and being like, no, you should totally enterprises. It's a thing. I don't know why you'd want to be one, but you should totally go buy that thing if you want to be an enterprise. And it's fascinating how few of the, you know, digitally native or DTCs or even the traditional retailers who are rebranding themselves, how few of them want to be enterprise companies. They just want to be brands. They just, they want to recreate shopping. They don't want to have giant IT orgs and all this. And so it's like, it doesn't even, their value set doesn't line up well with those traditional platforms. So it, it creates this kind of like us or them, new world, old, old world. And they just fall into this trap constantly. And it's wonderful to watch. And I bet a bit, um, there's a bit in some of the customers, there's a bit of panic with, with what's happening in e-commerce, right? There's a bit of a, a fear that that my, my stores are shutting down, the world's changing. And 
are do you provide do you provide some some guidance to these big customers on how not to become a dinosaur? Do they look to Shopify Plus to be a leader? Because I, I think uh, when I was at Shop Talk in Vegas, there this terror this terrification in e-commerce was everywhere in all the talks. We're worried, we're worried, we're going to be destroyed by Amazon, Walmart, and everybody else, and we'll be out of business, right? Um, and Shopify, in some ways. From a from a like a Wall Street perspective, it's like an anti Amazon. But from a customer perspective, it's very different. Can you help me not become a dinosaur? Right? Are you that? I, I don't want SAP because I don't want to be dinosaured. What do you do to help to help combat os- this ossification? I, I think it's for us a lot of the discussions with our customers is we're your partner, and you should not spend tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars on your e commerce platform. That's the way you're going to die. Stop that. Yeah. Right. Spend that money on brand and customer experience. Because that's the way you're competing with anybody, let alone the Amazons of the world. Um, and so I think what we're suggesting to them is like the, the the days of spending your money in the IT stack are over. You can't survive this way. The consumers are too fickle. They move too fast. You have to spend it now with the money. Like... The money needs to transfer from the CIO's budget to the CMO's budget so that the CMO can go get the customers in a completely different way than it's ever been possible. And what we are is we're the facilitator of that. We move yep. faster. We implement in 90 days. We, you know, uh, you, you don't need, like, I'm not partnered with any of the big five consulting firms for implementation because yeah. you don't need that if you're going in 90 days, right? Like. We'll, we'll talk in 2023 when they all want to partner with you. But, but today I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, so what we're saying is your best advantage is to stop acting like the IT stack is how you win. Yep. The, the question on that, just because it is so interesting that you see that budget change. Have you, what do you, do you have a sense of whose budget you're coming out of? Um, it, it, are you really coming out of a CMO's budget where four years ago it was the CIO budget of the IT department? Are you, are you, is that, do you see that happening consistently? Yeah. So you see the rise of chief digital officers, chief customer officers, CMOs, yes. and that's where the CEOs are spending more of their time because this is a customer acquisition problem more than it is a customer management problem. Yeah. Um, and that's the marketing budget. That's the merchandising budget. And so first forays for us are almost always the CMOs and chief digitals. The CIOs tend to... Um, the, the, the innovative ones are all, all in. They're like, yeah, man, let's redesign this stack. Um, yes, but some of them are, are adversarial. So how do you deal with that? Um, well, they're usually the ones trying to get someone to buy one of the big five software companies. Uh, yes. And I'm usually just like sitting there going like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Again, uh, you know, the way I deal with it is like, what do you want to be? Right? Do you want to move fast and be nimble and do customer experience? Or do you want to own servers and manage patches and be an IT company? Are yes. you a brand or an IT company? Because if you're a brand, this game is over. The, 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 it's done now and you need to shift. If you want to be an IT company, amazing, right? Good luck with that. Like it's hard to be a software company. Um, and so usually that's the end, right? Is people yeah. have, like, I don't, I don't want to be an IT company. It's like, cool. If you had $1, would you spend it on customer experience or servers? If the answer is servers, I'm out. You are out. Right? You just end the conversation. Can, in 2019 with your customers, if the CIO, if the, not the CIO or the IT, if they're opposed and the CMO really wants Shopify, right? He or she sees the world changing. I want to be up in 90 days. I want to be agile. 
Can the CMO win that debate in 2019? How often can she win when you don't have a, a CIO that's about innovation, right? How, what, what are the odds today in 2019? Yeah, so a lot more than they used to be. But this is also, I think, the unfair advantage of Shopify is Shopify from a, a budgeting perspective is materially different than an enterprise application. And so yeah. you can have, you can have, uh, this is not capitally allocated. No one has ever capitally, capitally allocated budget for Shopify, right? It's yep. a credit card. They're running it all on their credit cards. And so the CMOs can just buy it without even talking to anybody. Yes. They might get in trouble. I, I'm learning. Like it, this changes every year how these fights happen, right? I, yeah. I can try stuff. I can experiment. I can yeah. sneak it in the back door sometimes. Now in the more sophisticated, bigger orgs where you have this more structured buying process, the short answer is yes, the CMOs can win because right now the CMOs tend to have as much attention from the CEOs as the CIOs do. Yes. Because it's, it's where's our brand? We're in a rebranding process. We're in a customer acquisition war, you know, and so they're spending just as much money on that as they are on IT. Um, to be fair to our friends in the CIO's office, look, there's a lot of CIOs who have also just been like, hey, I don't want to run servers anymore, right? If I can enable the company with better technology, that's actually my job. My job yes. isn't to own thousands of people in a server farm somewhere. My job is to make technology leverage the company. And so those ones get on board in a hurry and are the first one. Like we get those calls too from CIOs who are like, we got to get all this legacy crap out of here. No, the best ones are the ones that want to bring a couple new projects a year, right? And bring change in the organization, right? Well, and see it as a lever, right? Yeah. And so this is, we see this happen all the time is people select Shopify and it makes their careers, right? It does, because right? they can leverage down the cost and leverage up the impact. And the companies are like, this is amazing. We saved a bunch of money, got way more capabilities, moved a hell of a lot faster. Like who made this choice? And they pointed Susie and suddenly Susie's in charge of stuff, right? Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second because- I think founders don't get this. Founders see a lead come in, a Red Bull, a Nike, and, and it's a lead. It's a great one, right? But they don't, the first time I saw this as a, as a SASIO is when we closed Qualcomm very early, and my stakeholder sent the Qualcomm newsletter out, and his picture was in it. We brought EchoSign in, and, I, and it was, I'm a hero. And he was on the second page of the Qualcomm newsletter, and that was the big thing he did in three years, right? And so we forget that, like, one, there can be a lot of career risk in bigger deals, right? It can be. And, but two, if you find someone that believes in you, this may be the most important decision they make in three years in terms of internal visibility if it's a hit, right? If this Shopify store works versus this old piece of junk, whatever thing they're trying to do, they don't do this every month, do they? It's every couple of years. So you've got to like quadruple down on them and they become your loyalists for a decade, don't they? And that's exactly right. And this is what we lever towards is, you know, we have companies call us all the time who are like, I'll give you $20 million, just do this thing. And our answer is always, no, um, we don't custom build you software. You know, we're looking for customers who are going to be wildly successful because yes. when they're successful, the leverage impact of that for us is huge and yeah. for, for our users. And so this is what happens is you have these people making their companies in a lot of cases, right? They're betting their companies on Shopify because we're, su we're in such a unique position there aren't very many platforms that if you turn them off, you turn off the company. Well, there's more than you think. But you're, we, as founders, we forget also, it's a really important point, what it means to be mission critical. You have a huge obligation to your customer, right? You go down for five minutes, it can be that it's going to light, the switchboards are going to light up, right? Uh, it doesn't matter even if it's AWS's fault or whoever's fault, it doesn't matter, right? You're mission critical. 
Right? That's true. And being mission critical on the other side, when you're successful, yeah. people are just raving about it. And that's that's our ecosystem in its totality is raging fans of like what we've been able to help people build and do and um, leverage. And I think that's our key is I'm looking for customer success opportunities, not revenue. Um, because if you find all the successful companies, the revenue follows them. Right. Yes. Um, and so it's just, it's being able to wait slightly longer for the money than, uh, you know, is, it feels comfortable. And how many roughly, if it hasn't been disclosed, don't tell me, but roughly how many Shopify plus customers are there today that, yeah, the last public number was 5,300, 5,300. Okay. And you've been doing it for five years. Do you have a sense with this, with this great customer experience you have, how much of your new Shopify Plus comes from word of mouth, folks telling their friends, leaving, going to another another brand? Do you have that second order engine really humming at this point? Yeah, so um, it is. there's a big network effect um, off of Shopify. Both the, That flywheel is both from Shopify itself. So it's like it's the aspirational brand now. People want to be on Plus because it means you're growing and, and you're, you're big. Yeah. Um, the bigger companies are definitely word of mouth in a lot of ways. They're all talking to each other now. They're all going to the same conferences and they're like, what are you running? People are like, now they're finally in rooms where people are like, we run Shopify and it's yeah. validated and it's it's not the bleeding edge and there's enough Fortune 50 companies on Shopify that they're like, yeah, great. We can move to this now. And so it's that barrier of, of risk is coming down. And how long do you think that took to have that moment where Shopify Plus didn't feel risky anymore? Uh, it pro- like we're, we're five years in, it was a good three, three and a half years. That's my guess for the average startup for Shopify. It's true too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even once you had the first kind of marquee brands that like everyone knew, yeah. everyone would discount them and be like, but they were the first, you must've given them something. Outliers. Yeah. Yeah. It's outlier. You needed a hundred of them and everyone was like, oh, Okay, so maybe this is a thing. It's not like a random thing. It's you have too many customers at that scale. So now, now like, you know, our largest customers are over a billion dollars a year in their online stores. I mean, once you're in this scale, it's like, it's hard for people to argue you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, and then it like, it brings in the next wave of people who are like, okay, I'm bored of trying to fight this wave. We'll come to. But even Shopify needed those hundred logos to leave the early adopter phase, so to speak for plus. It's the same whether you're Shopify or a new startup, you need... Yeah. You need that hundred because a hundred is a thousand. Yeah. And I think in Shopify's case and in Plus's case, it, we actually had on one side, we had a lot of advantages coming from Shopify, but that was also challenging because Shopify's brand was so strong in the entrepreneurial space. Yeah. You got discounted so fast out of conversations because people were like, yeah, hey, yeah, for the small guys, we're not talking to Shopify. They're for little guys. And so we like, I know for a fact we were not included in hundreds of evaluations early on because of the Shopify effect, right? Too small for little guys, not us. And those customers, I know that because they've come back three, four years later and they're like, oh yeah, we didn't even know you existed two years ago when we chose this other thing, but like now we're here. And so like, let's move on. And one, uh, I want to make sure we have time to talk about ecosystems before we run out of time. But that three to four year thing's interesting because this is, you're five years into Shopify Plus, right? If you don't win a customer, 
What's your cycle? Do you have another shot in three to four years? And how do you think about going long? And how do you think about retaining those longer term relationships if they're not ready today, right? Because you don't get a chance in another six months usually. It's true. Retail happens to be in a fast cycle because it's moving so quickly. So people yep. are constantly looking. But you know, minimum time until someone chooses another platform is usually two and a half, three years because yep. it takes so much effort to do. And so we are definitely long-term thinkers in that we're optimizing for the experience, even if you don't select us, you know, or even if you leave us and customers do leave us or we optimize for leaving. Okay. You want to leave? We can leave. Yeah. No, no, no 10 year contracts that you're bound even you have to pay. And even if you hate the product, no, there's none of that, none of that behavior. We have a 12 month initial contract that then yep. goes into monthly. Um, and that's it. And there's, well, you know, this is my passion topic. Cause let's talk about that. Your enterprise You want, if they're not happy for some reason, you want them to go and then come back later. Yeah. Right. You don't want them angry that they're stuck with a platform that doesn't work with them today. Do you? No, because long-term you need happy customers, not contracted customers. Yeah. And so I, if, if they're only here because they have a contract, we've done something wrong. Yeah. And, and let's, I'm going to put that up on, on the, on the Twitter and the blog post like a hundred times, right? That is the answer, right? You, you're, you're thinking you want, you want customers for life or at least for decades. Um, and if, if they, if you're not a fit for them and you have the NPS and the brand that Shopify has, you're going to get another chance. You're going to get into that next deal. You will see them again down the road if you treat them well, won't you? Yes. So Toby has said many times, we're trying to build a hundred year company. And so you need customers for a hundred years. And so if you're not ready today, it's okay. I'm here for a hundred years. You come back when you're ready, right? We'll yep. still be here. And you know, that's, that's potentially hard short-term on financials, but I'll tell you the truth. It's not right. Yeah. The snowball effect just works, right? Yeah. Customers love that. And they, then when they come back, you're not selling them anything. They came back. They're just, they just come back and sign up and move on. Yes. Right. Your second sales cycle is zero days. All right. We're going to have to talk about 100-year customers at Saster Annual. That, that's the right answer. We're ready, right? Gener- if generational companies should think in terms of 100-year customer relationships, right? It's kooky. It's crazy because where were we in 100 years ago? We didn't have airplanes. <laughs> sure. I guess we did, sort of. But, uh, but, uh, but, but we're in the third decade of a lot of SaaS companies. Right, a lot of sat the the Mailchimp's, the Salesforce's, they're getting to into their into their their twenties now, their third decade, and they're just getting going. Right, so why can't you plan at least for forty or fifty years? Yeah, optimize for the long term. Yeah, it yeah. it feels like it's going to be worse, but it, it's always better. I've never seen that not work out. Me neither. All right, last one because um, uh, I want to make sure that this can all fit on one podcast. But but this is a great conversation. Let's talk about ecosystems. And I don't actually know the difference between Shopify and Shopify Plus partners. I am ignorant there. But I know for the core Shopify customer, having an open ecosystem was absolutely disruptive, right? And you had products like Magento, which had a lot of early traction, um, and but we're very difficult to integrate into, right? It was There's multiple versions. You've got hybrid open source. There's 11 versions. Early other things like, like WooCommerce and other things, they had cool functionality, but how do you, inter- and, and low-end things, even if you're trying to do something on Square or Squarespace or something, it's very hard to plug in. And Shopify, whether intentionally, I mean, I think intentionally built something that was not only open, but was dramatically more open than its competition, Right. And what are the learnings um, beyond the trite ones? And how does that play in the enterprise? Do the enterprise care enough that you have like simple, simple retargeting products at the low end? Or how does this, how does this play on the bigger customers, this ecosystem? Yeah. So um, it was definitely intentional is, is 
probably one of the smartest things uh, that the company did from the day, day one is like when Toby was building it early on was building it with the open API infrastructure so that people yeah. could just see the APIs. It was documented. They could grab them and run off with them and build extensions. That was a fundamental understanding that no platform exists in isolation. We exist in an ecosystem of solutions used by a customer. And so if we wanted to solve problems, we had to solve them way faster than we could build on our own because the problem set was so large. So why not incorporate and, and bring to the table everyone else trying to solve problems as well and just say, let's solve this as, a, as an ecosystem. And so we yeah. ran so much faster. We had the net effect of dozens, then hundreds, then thousands of software companies building with us into this and their own word of mouth and their own flywheels also contributing. And so it's just been this effect over and over and over as we've built this out. Um, and it's a huge reason why we've been able to grow so quickly was it wasn't just us, right? We had a giant flotilla of partners out there in the world just sucking up uh, problem sets and solving them. Yep. And how does that change as you go more enterprise? Do, do folks use as many third-party vendors and plugins? Do they use less? Is it is it similar or what's different? Uh, yeah, they, they use a lot. I actually think, you know, you could describe Plus as maybe the fastest integration platform in the world. Um, because at the enterprise, you can show up and use relatively high powered solutions, um, very quickly. This will take you minutes to integrate your C your CRM into Shopify versus decades or however long it takes to do some of these things. Um, and so this has become a huge advantage is on one side, you know, it is filling gaps in our own product, which we need to fill. That's true. But on the other side, it's allowing customers to stand up full go systems very quickly which is why we can go from zero to full, like our average implementation is 90 days, right? Yep. Like these are enterprise stacks getting launched in 90 days. And how many, if you had to just guess, of the, when you do an enterprise implementation, how many Shopify, how many partners will be in a deployment? How many partner applications will be deployed? Yeah, it ranges um, from, you know, low, low single digits to a dozen or two. One question for founders, because they don't get it. Everyone wants to be the partner with Shopify with its scale today, right? How do you learn? Because it's great that they use partners, but if you bring them into one of your top accounts and they fail the customer, that is bad, isn't it? It's really bad, right? And so there's there are some cons here, right? They're minimal, but they are cons that you don't run this software. How do you figure out which partners to trust? How do you learn this? Is it anecdotal? Um, because the last thing you want to do is win the Red Bull or the other hundred and then have this third party thing be the thing that just breaks that great relationship, right? How do you know, how do you learn this at Shopify scale, at Shopify plus the scale? So there's, there's a few ways. One is we have a team dedicated to this, our, yep. our platform team and, and app team this is all they do is work with app developers on, on ensuring they build things the right way. But the other way is our customers. With 800,000 customers consuming apps on a regular basis, you get rapid kind of product information. You have a lot of data. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of data. It's like who loves them? They get ranked in our app store. Um, our customers talk to us about them. As Plus has grown, we've learned a lot from our own customers. So they tell us information. This one works better than that one. They're constantly trying new things and experimenting. So we get a lot of feedback. Uh, on this, but we're also always looking to um, develop that relationship, increase that trust battery, because you're right. They do look at us. They look at the platform and say, hey, they're your apps. It's it's your ecosystem. We need to trust you that you're managing them. Uh, and so we have to extend our own trust to our ecosystem. And so we're always looking for ways to 
you know, help that help that process along. All right. One last question on that. And then I want to ask you one final question because we're over. Um, but um, let's say I'm doing a million or two million on on the Shopify ecosystem, in particular on Shopify Plus. I've got a million or two million in AR. So I'm not nothing, but I'm not yet. I'm not yet. Uh, I don't have any everyone's attention. What's just to help founders? What should I do? Should I just continue to make customers happy? Should I build? Should I fly to Toronto? Should I go to your events? Should I should I send Lauren a hundred emails every week? Like what? How, what? I'm at a million or two. Like I'm not breakout, but this is important to me, right? My business Shopify Plus is pulling me with it. Um, and let, what what should you do in general for Shopify? And then it's a lesson for any founder in a similar position, right? So the first answer is always solve the problem for the customer the best way. Right? Yep. We are a product company. So we, we pay most attention to product. Is your product good? Are you solving the problems? Do the customers agree you solve the problems? You can send us all a million emails. The first questions we will ask is, do you solve the problem the customer wants? And do they agree you solve that problem? Yep. And if you can't answer yes, like the rest of it's irrelevant. Because yep. for us, that's how we've grown. That's what we focus on. And so anyone that's in, you know, going to be successful in our ecosystem is also focused on that same thing. Got it. Got it. All right. But I would assume if you got to a couple million in revenue, you're doing something right, right? That sounds small for Shopify, but for a startup, if I've done that in Shopify, that's a real, I, I, that's a real business, right? Um, and there are, there are app developers in our ecosystem that all they do is build Shopify apps and they are tens of millions of dollars with funding rounds and like this oh, yeah. ecosystem is getting big. I would bet, I would bet with zero data, there's a hundred folks doing a million to 50 million on the Shopify ecosystem alone, right? A hundred, right? But if I'm one of those hundred, and then I want to hit the last question, should I do anything special? Should I hire 11 business development people or should I just make the customers happy and, and Shopify Plus will find me and it'll work itself out? Yeah. So our experience would suggest you keep building the best product. The customers will find the best products. We yes. will find those products too. Um, okay. So don't over, don't over index on magical partnerships and business yes. development, just close customers and it will, so the synergies will happen, right? Solve customer problems and we will find you. Okay. So schmoozing is not the most important thing on the list of partnering with Shopify plus, right? You laugh, but we know from our careers, it, it does make a difference, right? In, in, in traditional enterprise, like there are multiple re like being a good partner is important, and sometimes schmoozing is as important in some cases as the quality of the software itself, right? We've had the, I, I've personally had the encounters where we have, you know, potential partners who are really excellent schmoozers. They're really good at it. Um, and they don't end up being our partners because as soon as we're done with the small talk, we're like, show us the product. And, they, and the product is weak and it doesn't solve problems and the customers hate them. And we're like, You're out. Uh, you know, that's not what we optimize for. Yep. All right. Last question for fun. And then if you want to add anything at the end, let me know. But we had Byron Dieter from Bessemer at our holiday party last year. It was one of my favorite talks. It's on the I got to I got to promote it more. And we were talking about the the Bessemer venture. Bessemer was the largest investor in Shopify. We we're talking about their investment memo, and they he said it was one of the only deals at Bessemer where every single partner wanted to do it. Like they loved the team. They loved everything about Shop. Like literally no objections. The only objection when they invested was that this sort of store thing for SMB was so small. They projected the maximum exit would be seven hundred million. And so they all said, we're not going to make enough money on this deal, but we love this team so much. We're going to make an exception, even though we don't think it breaks our model. Right. And that there's a cloud story in that. Right. And an e-commerce story in that. Right. So did you think when you joined, it would be a thirty five billion dollar company today? I know you were bullish or you wouldn't take it. Did you think you'd be I mean, the cloud is crazy. Did you think this would be a thirty five billion dollar company today? Um, the short answer is no. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I, 
<laughs> I mean, I, I'd love to say, of course, everyone saw it coming. I mean, the truth is, is like, this is a tidal wave. This is not, uh, you know, I had a customer say, we'll weather this storm. And I was like, this is not a storm, right? It is a tidal wave, isn't it? It is a fundamental restructuring of an industry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we are very fortunate. We have great customers and, and great partners. Um, but yeah, th- this ride has been amazing. Uh, these last five years have gone by in a blur. Um, and, you know, I think it, now sitting and looking back, now I realize, you know, uh, our former CFO, Russ, made a, made a crack on a business or, uh, news interview. Uh, they, there were rumors about Google buying us. And he, he joked back. He's like, that's interesting. He goes, I guess someday we'll buy Google. Right? And uh, we all like laughed. And then we all suddenly weren't laughing. And we're like, maybe someday we'll buy Google. Um, and so I think, you know, now I look forward and, and you know, I, I really do think about this as a generational company, um, a material global company. And, uh, you know, we are very early. Early. We are early, right? It's crazy. Who knew? Who knew even seven years ago, even five years ago, we, we didn't quite know. It's a, it's a tidal wave. All right, Lauren, thank you. This was, this was incredible. I really appreciate your time, and I learned a lot. Um, and uh, let me know if I can help in any way or whatever else we can do to help you in Shopify Plus. Uh, Jason, uh, thanks very much. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And uh, right back at you. What did the meeting rooms of big brands like SoulCycle and Lola.com have in common? A wise bird told us that it's the meeting owl, a smart 360-degree video conferencing camera, which gives remote workers an immersive experience during virtual meetings. Join Owl Labs in bringing teams together for better work at owllabs.com.